It's hard to miss the fact that we're heading into a federal election this fall. Across the country, politicians are shaking hands and kissing babies and making promises. One of the first planks of every party's platform to be nailed down this year is environmental policy. And that's a nod to what many Canadians are saying is a big issue in this election, the environment. But while all the parties are making promises around reducing emissions, and some of them talk about making investments here and there in renewable energy, no one has yet articulated a comprehensive vision for the transition to clean energy. But we have. We're Mission Transition, Clean Energy and Beyond. Hi, I'm Susan Elrington, along with Caitlin Vernon, and this podcast mini-series about the transition to clean energy is produced by Sierra Club BC on Lekwungen Territory. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, Sue. This is the last episode of Mission Transition this it season. <laughs> I know. You know, Caitlin, we started this podcast mini-series talking to young people, climate strikers, about the future that they envision. What stuck with you from that discussion? Yeah, you know, when I've asked young people how they feel about the climate crisis, the word they give often is that they're terrified. The fear is very real. And at the same time, I was really struck by the comments of the young panelists in our first episode. One said that the transition was riveting, such a great word. And overall, there there seems to be a lot of both hope and joy that, yes, really big changes are coming. And yes, it's not going to be easy. But maybe some of what's ahead can actually be better than what we have now. Less disconnected, less isolating, more community, and so on. Mm -hmm. And they were unequivocal that they believe a Green New Deal is the mechanism to make all of that happen. Uh, Here's what Finn, Antonia, and Hannah had to say about what they want to hear from politicians and aspiring politicians in this election campaign. Well, basically, I'm looking for parties and candidates to support a Canadian Green New Deal. And some people say it will cost a lot of money. But if we ended our fossil fuel subsidies, we would get enough money annually to pay off the Green New Deal within a few years. Also concerning the Green New Deal in this upcoming federal election, it is so important that we highlight the fact that it's about uh, a just transition. So what does that mean, a just transition? Well, it means that we are collectively going to be transitioning in our society, but with a focus on marginalized communities. And so one thing I would like our politicians to do is to be on the ground really trying to understand the fullness of the situation, particularly with the indigenous peoples of the land. And what would it tell you about a candidate if they refuse to endorse the Green New Deal? Well, kind of coming out of the Our Time movement, a lot of this is looking at um, the youth who are saying that this is our time. It's our time for a Green New Deal. It's our time for a uh, just transition. Um, And these politicians and executives have had their time. And so it's really kind of like they're not with us. They're not supporting the youth. They're not supporting the communities. They're They're not looking to a just and habitable future. They're taking that away from people. That was Finn Kreischer, Antonia Paquin, and Hannah Gelderman talking about the Green New Deal. For more from them, you can listen to episode one of this podcast series if you haven't already. Mm-hmm. And the Green New Deal was launched in Canada in May, and it's going to be interesting to see what role it plays in the upcoming federal election. So I turned to two people who are part of the Green New Deal movement in Canada to talk about just that, amongst other things. Clayton Thomas Mueller is a 350.org organizer, and Nayele Jimenez is an organizer with Our Time, the youth movement rolling out the Green New Deal in Canada. So I'm going to start with you, Clayton. What is the Green New Deal? Well, the Green New Deal is the answer uh, that society, not just here in Canada, but across the world, 
uh, is looking for in terms of the whole global problem that we are currently facing in regards to our rapidly destabilizing climate. You know, we're living in the era of the economics of the Anthropocene, the era of global human impact by our species. And, you know, that's directly tied to our fossil fuel centered economy. And so the Green New Deal aims to build the largest voter base in Canadian history of first time voters, young people, indigenous voters, which is a youth vote, students to put pressure on candidates of all political stripes uh, leading up to the federal election here in Canada in October 2019, and certainly beyond when the newly elected parliament sits for the first time in the month of November, a month after the election. Uh, Our goal is 100% renewables and full partnership with Indigenous peoples. Uh, The Green New Deal is a plan that provides a legislative job guarantee that leaves absolutely no worker behind who wants a job in the new zero carbon energy economy. Uh, A Green New Deal is all about responding to the global climate crisis in a way that takes an intersectional consideration into account, you know, in in regards to reconciliation with Canada's first people, justice for vulnerable communities who are impacted by the global climate crisis disproportionately from those who have privilege and affluence. And, you know, and that's why we're, we're reaching out, especially to young people right now who are leading this movement to put pressure on politicians to take action. Uh, but we're also looking, uh, you know, for as many candidates from all political parties uh, that champion our cause uh, when Parliament goes back into session after the fall election so that we can actually get some meaningful uh, legislation passed uh, to support the principles uh, that our movement is based on. It's interesting because a lot of people, when they think about the Green New Deal, think it's a piece of legislation or one policy. How how would you get across that it's it's a bigger blanket than that, if you like? Maybe Nayeli, you could you could respond to that. Yeah, this is not necessarily one piece of legislation because the movement is so intersectional, which is what Clayton was uh, touching upon. We have this understanding now, especially our generation, of how intersectional issues around justice are, you know, migration, around uh, youth, around indigenous rights, around workers' rights. So we know that it's a very intersectional issue, which means like the one single policy won't cover it all. Uh, The way this is going to work is that once we have those champions in there, they're going to pass smaller pieces of legislation that all contribute to this larger vision of a Green New Deal. Uh, The the ambition of it all is that it has to happen really quickly. I mean, we we don't have that much time. As we know, the IPCC report that came out last year basically gave us 11 years to cut our emissions in half and take all of these intersections into account. So that means that we have to move really quickly. And even though there are smaller pieces of legislation, we have to act on them really quickly now. But Parliament has declared a climate emergency in Canada. There is a plan in place to reduce emissions and, you know, we have a carbon tax. Why do we need the Green New Deal with all of that? Clayton? Well, I think that, you know, the number one uh, uh, difficult thing that Canadian society is coming to terms with is the fact that, you know, as Nayali said, that we need no new fossil fuels period. That means infrastructure, that means extraction at the source. Uh, We cannot be 
uh, uh, investing in massive projects like the Trans Mountain Pipeline on the West Coast or the Line 3 Pipeline, which impacts me here in Winnipeg, Manitoba. You know, and the fact that they approved the Kinder Morgan Pipeline a day after they announced a climate emergency demonstrates that, you know, this government's rhetoric around, you know, real meaningful action on climate is just rhetoric. The only thing that's going to solve the current crisis is mass government intervention at all levels at a scale unseen since post-World War II. You know, when we came out of World War II, the world was in recession. There was environmental crisis the planet over, food insecurity and water insecurity. And Canada at that time created 26 crown corporations that completely changed the face of the economy. What's to say that we can't create new crown corporations that do meaningful things like address the water crisis on First Nations while at the same time installing wind power and solar power and battery storage facilities in our poorest communities? Um, you know, and that's not just limited to, uh, uh, you know, the federal government of Canada. When we talk about massive government intervention, we're talking about municipal governments, we're talking about provincial governments, and we're certainly talking about First Nations governments. You know, right now, there's a consortium of First Nations calling themselves the Reconciliation Group who are aiming to buy the Trans Mountain Pipeline, uh, a 51% plus share. Um, and they too need to understand that, uh, you know, this is not a pathway forward. There is great risk uh, in building new fossil fuel infrastructure. We need all jurisdictions of government in Canada to intervene on the issue of climate. And that means no new fossil fuel infrastructure, including no new tar sands pipelines. Nelly, why do you think this Green New Deal is really igniting youth into activism? For the first time, we're seeing that a climate justice movement was born from a large group of young people who are concerned about their future, taking the matters into their own hands. And the most amazing thing is it's been championing by youth of color, too. So it's a very different face in this movement that we've been seeing for a long, long time, especially here in Canada, uh, where it's mostly, you know, white, educated male at the forefront of these uh, movements. So this is so much bigger than our colonial borders. It's so much bigger than the U.S. It's so much bigger than Canada. But the decisions we make here in Canada obviously affect the most vulnerable communities in the global south. So the fact that young people are seeing it as a bigger issue than just an environmental one is what's powering through because we've seen that all the other things that have been done in the past haven't worked. So, I, I mean, my generation is literally dedicating their lives to this fight it's really inspiring at the same time, you know, it, it comes with a sense of sadness. It's like the, it's kind of, to me, being at the climate strike, seeing young people who are, you know, 14 years old, I'm both torn with a sense of absolute hope and excitement to see that movement. At the same time, I look at them and I think, wow, it's also so unfair that you're having to do this. So millennials are the largest voting bloc in the coming federal election. So we, we have a huge power to change a narrative here uh, in this country. Clayton, one of the tensions, if you like, that they felt in the States over the Green New Deal has been with the labor movement. They've had a hard time getting their head around how the Green New Deal could benefit labor. And I think they've seen it in terms of loss. It's an attack on what they know to be their security at the moment. 
How is that different in Canada? Is it different? And how do you counter that sense coming from Labour? Well, you know, the fact that Labour hasn't dived headfirst into supporting a plan for a Green New Deal in either jurisdictions of Canada or the U.S. is problematic. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, we need everyone uh, on board to create the pressure necessary for mass government intervention at a World War II scale. Uh, Labor, you know, both here in Canada and the lower 48 have experienced, you know, massive attacks on their base, on their rights, on their advocacy capacity uh, by, by governments, by labor-busting politicians. And, you know, uh, uh, and we've seen, you know, xenophobic, race-baiting uh, narratives coming from the energy workers, particularly on the situation of automobile industry, automobile workers, you know, blaming uh, Mexico, uh, you know, for the strife that's been faced in uh, auto- automobile manufacturing plants, like in the community of Oshawa, Ontario, uh, where they're they're seeing a closure in the GM plant there. Um, you know, a Green New Deal fixes all of that. You know, part of an ask in the Green New Deal is retrofitting existing automobile plants into uh, electric vehicle producing facilities that provide uh, new, high-paying, super innovative and highly technical manufacturing jobs for the huge manufacturing worker support ba- worker base that we have here in this country. And big labor needs to get on board. You know, the Canadian Labor Congress, Unifor, uh, QP, you know, the big unions in this country, you know, they're the, well, the most well-organized social movement sector, and they have massive, massive capacity uh, to sustain uh, Green New Deal organizing work all across the country and to be a big player. You know, we need the big, big uh, umbrella unions to get involved and, uh, and to partner with social movements to throw their hat in the ring and get in the fight. And the fact of the matter is the enemy of energy workers is automation. Um, you know, we saw hundreds of high paying jobs, over 400 jobs, which were predominantly staffed by indigenous peoples from communities impacted by the expansion of the tar sands, uh, driving those big three story trucks in the tar sands. Those are now driven by robots, by GPS satellite. And so a lot of people lost six figure jobs. I think the fact of the matter is, is that the dichotomy, the age old dichotomy of jobs versus the environment is something that proponents of the fossil fuel sector continue to push. And so they're doing everything that they can to pit labor against environmental people, their pit labor against indigenous peoples, when the reality of it is, is that a new world is possible, a Green New Deal is possible, and we need to unite across social movement sectors to force the massive government intervention required to actually see humanity uh, survive this, uh, this crisis. I'm speaking with Clayton Thomas Mueller of 350.org. He's joining me from Manitoba, along with Nayeli Jimenez from Our Time in Vancouver. And we're talking about the Green New Deal. I'm Susan Elrington, and Mission Transition will return right after this short break. I'm Hannah Askew, and I'm the Executive Director of Sierra Club BC. This is a special year for us for a number of reasons. It's our 50th anniversary, so we're really taking the opportunity to reflect on our successes so far and also look towards the future. Some of the major accomplishments of the last 50 years are our work protecting old-growth rainforests on Vancouver Island, our work in securing um, the Great Bear Rainforest Agreement, and uh, our our grassroots engagement with citizens all across British Columbia in in supporting them in protecting um, the local wild places that are important to 
to them. In our next 50 years, uh, we'll be working hard on stabilizing the climate, uh, creating a livable climate for everyone, and we'll be continuing to protect our remaining old growth rainforests and uh, ecosystems um, across British Columbia. To celebrate our 50th anniversary, we have a special concert that will be happening in Vancouver and a gala dinner in Victoria. And for more information on both of these, you can go to our website. Hi, I'm Susan Elrington, and this is Mission Transition, Clean Energy and Beyond. In this episode, we're talking about the Green New Deal with my guests Clayton Thomas Mueller of 350.org and Nayeli Jimenez of Our Time. The Green New Deal launched in Canada in May with a series of town halls organized by Our Time. So Nayeli, how is the Green New Deal being received? We saw just how quickly people responded and wanted to join the conversation. Everyday Canadians, people who had never showed up to, you know, to a rally, they were showing up. Um, we organized one here in Vancouver and we reached capacity in less than a week uh, with RSVPs. People were just hungry to be able to have a say, to learn more about the Green New Deal. And when we were in that room, I mean, we, we had people, who, we had workers, we had teachers, we had city councils, we had librarians, we had just concerned mothers and grandmothers. Um, and, and I was quite surprised to see that those people who maybe hadn't, you know, been part of, felt that they weren't part of a movement before, were showing up and addressing the fact that this is a bigger systematic issue, that there are all these systems of oppression that are in place, obviously um, aiding the rise of racism, uh, people are seeing these connections. So that's really encouraging. At the same time, it obviously uh, scares the status quo, have been doing things for decades. Um, that doesn't mean, though, that we can't do it if we have this mass power coming from the people and the government in conjunction to actually make these systems better than they are now. So Nayeli, how do you turn all of that talk into action? First, here in Canada, we start with this election. But the thing is, we cannot just put our faith in governments. As we know, we, we cannot just put all our eggs in one basket. I think it has to come from all levels, from uh, businesses, corporations, everyday people, uh, the way we consume, the way, like, it, seriously, everything has to be on board. I remember uh, talking to Finn, a uh, really young climate activist, saying, like, we, it's about time we stop pointing fingers at each other. Oh, the government needs to do this. Oh, indigenous communities need to lead this. Oh, young people need to do this. Everyone needs to do this. <laughs> and so I think that that's part of it. We, we can't um, just... Uh, leave it as a vision. We actually kind of have to take action. And that becomes with every single thing that people can do and start definitely by pushing those people in power. Because if we elect them as leaders, we expect them to take this seriously and not just say they're climate leaders and then build a pipeline the next day. So Clayton, I'm going to go back to the idea of the federal election because it is coming up this fall. It is the kind of first big thing on the uh, on the horizon. One of the things that you want is a leaders debate around the climate crisis. Why is that particularly important? Well, I think it's really important because Canadians and First Nations alike deserve to know exactly, um, you know, what politicians vying for a seat in the House of Power here in our country, in the Parliament. You know, these people want to represent us. 
We need to know if they understand climate science, if they if they are 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 in denial of said climate science. Um, and certainly, I think more importantly, we need to know if the policies that elected leaders are supporting going, you know, in, in their elections campaign actually meet the scale of the current economic and, and environmental crisis that we're facing. Um, you know, and I think that a, a big part of that is understanding uh, that, you know, everything is connected, um, that migration, housing, uh, you know, reconciliation and the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, the entire conversation about reconciliation of Canada's colonial history, you know, a number of issues, the rights of women and, and, and control over the decisions of what happens to their bodies, you know, these are all climate justice issues. Um, and we need to know that uh, our elected leaders, you know, where they stand on some of these intersectional issues and do their policies actually address or exacerbate uh, the, the very clear divisions uh, in terms of climate impacts that members of society are facing. And so a federal leaders climate debate is an absolutely integral part. You know, the conservatives, liberals, NDP and Greens alike have all made climate a big part of their election platform. And so a federal uh, climate leaders debate gives us an opportunity to actually hear if they have a comprehensive understanding of the problem and if their policies uh, are actually going to address the problem and if they're if they're willing to work bipartisan across party lines to pass progressive legislation. Um, and I think that, you know, in that kind of context of a federal climate leaders debate, that gives a clear indicator for Canadians who certainly think climate is a, is a big election issue for First Nations who think climate is a big election issue in terms of which party to support at the polls. Nelly, the election is about five months away from the time that we're taping this. Is that an advantage or a disadvantage for the Green New Deal movement? I think it's an advantage because it just speaks to how urgent this issue is. Uh, at the same time, though, obviously that comes with the challenges, which is why we need to basically rise up and gather as many people as possible beyond young people. Um, this, You know, this is on all of us. So this is something that while we don't have as much time as the U.S. does, that doesn't mean that we can't grab the attention. I mean, it's already happening. People are already confronting people. Unfortunately, uh a lot of people, especially politicians, will grab onto this narrative of like, oh, it's very ambitious. It's a, it's a huge ambitious plan. But ultimately, we don't have time not to be ambitious. I mean, Catherine McKenna said that uh, climate, uh, climate action was not a sprint. It was a marathon. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, but this is a, an argument 30 years too late. And so, uh, again, you can't, this is well known across generations. This isn't just young people coming to realize this. So um, while we seem like we don't have that much time, we definitely have the tactics and the power and the will of people trying to push for this. And I, I, I think it's going to happen if we actually make sure that we have a climate debate. Um, well, certainly, I think that as we go through this process of trying to find champions, you know, whether there are there are incumbents uh, running for re-election or new candidates, uh, there's a ton of them. Um, you know, we want all uh, champions that get elected into parliament uh, with support of a Green New Deal platform. And that means, you know, I think that there are regional specific pieces uh, that people can look at. You know, you need to get politicized and inform yourself on both your federal party's platform that you're considering supporting, um, but also, you know, uh, acclimatize yourself to the local fights, you know, so really 
each individual citizen that supports the Green New Deal and that wants to engage in the election campaign needs to uh, educate themselves, you know, challenge those party leaders, uh, you know, right across the board uh, on what they need to do uh, as far as uh, actually transitioning Canada off of a fossil fuel economy. So apart from informing themselves and challenging politicians, how can our listeners get involved in the Green New Deal, Naeli? Uh, young people can go to our-time.ca and join a local hub, which means there's already a lot in place with uh, uh, young people organizing around, around a Green New Deal all across the country. If there's not a hub in anywhere close where you live, you can start your own. So definitely check that out because um, we have we are building a movement that's very powerful and we just need as many people as possible. So that's a huge way to start. Uh, and that's just me reaching out to all the young people out there. It doesn't matter if you can't vote, still join us because your voice is extremely important. You can find out more about the Green New Deal at the Sierra Club BC website at sierraclub.bc.ca and more about 350.org at 350.org. Thank you both for joining me for this discussion and thanks for the work that you do. Thanks so much for having us. That was Clayton Thomas Mueller. Now, Clayton is a 350.org organizer in Canada, and Nayeli Jimenez is an organizer with Our Time, the youth movement rolling out the Green New Deal in Canada. Yeah, and we should mention here that it's not just young people who support the Green New Deal. More than 60% of Canadians polled by Abacus Data in April were behind this idea, and another 13% said they just didn't have enough information to say one way or the other. Caitlin, as someone who's working on the ground on these issues, what strikes you as being important about the Green New Deal? Honestly, it's really frustrating. It's totally outrageous that the federal government would one day declare a climate emergency and then the very next day approve a tar sands pipeline that is going to make climate impacts worse for all of our communities. It's like it's like calling 911 because your house is on fire and then dumping more gasoline on the fire. Our house is on fire. This is really urgent. And yet our governments just don't seem to get it. So then what do we do? Yeah, well, we're looking to government for leadership, but the government is looking at us. And, you know, whether we should be expecting more leadership from our governments or not is another story. But what's clear in the current political context is that it's the responsibility of all of us. It's the responsibility of voters to be pushing on our governments at all levels and of all stripes for more courageous leadership and really for a vision of where we're going that responds at the scale of the crisis that we're facing with solutions that work for everyone. And that's why the Green New Deal is a concept that holds such promise. For starters, the climate science is taken seriously. And then there's a commitment to economic and racial justice, which means that together we can move through this transition in a way that would address the current injustices so that we can get to the place where, as our youth panel so eloquently talked about, things could in fact be better than they are today. Then what do you want to see candidates talking about in the election campaign? Well, we seem to have finally reached the point where all parties are talking about climate change. So that's that's good. And now it's really up to us, the voters, to think critically about what the different parties are saying and ask the hard questions. Will what they're promising really reduce emissions? Will it do so in a way that moves us towards justice, economic justice, social justice, justice for Indigenous peoples. 
Canada is poised to become the second largest producer of oil and gas in the world in the next five years. So we need to make sure that any proposed climate plan factors in not just the carbon pollution that's released here in Canada, but also the emissions related to everything we export. So let's be asking our candidates about that as well. It's so important to look at that bigger picture. You know, I want to ask the candidates in my riding about their vision for a clean energy future. You know, I've been so inspired by the young people that I interviewed and by our visit to Haida Gwaii, you know, where folks are, are working together to just move ahead on this transition now. They have a vision that... You know, our politicians seem to lack somehow. I've spoken to so many people who've stepped up at their jobs and in their personal lives to, to make this transition happen now. And I, I think it's time for our leaders to step up in the same way. What do you want to see them do? Well, I want to see them embrace and fund new ideas. And, Caitlin, those could be new technologies, but not just new technologies. They could be new ideas about helping us all work together. You know, I remember Bill Carroll talking about that leadership of the 90s promoting cooperatives. You know, why not look at those again? We've talked about energy democracy. Why not fund those initiatives? You know, I, I've been so inspired by a lot of that. And, 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 yeah, I'd like to see a lot more action out of politicians in that way. What would you like to see? our leaders do? Well, first of all, all of us are leaders, not just our politicians. So I would hope and encourage all of us to step up in our own lives and get involved in, in doing something to respond to the climate crisis in whatever way that we have energy for. And that's going to look different for everybody. But it's definitely an all hands on deck kind of moment. So I hope this podcast series has given you, our listeners, some ideas for how to cut through all the political blah, 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 and get to the heart of what the candidates in your area are really committed to. And to push them, because most politicians need to know that they have your support before they can really find the courage to speak out. And on that note, that's it for our second season of Mission Transition, Clean Energy and Beyond. I'd like to thank the countless people who gave their time and their perspectives to help inform our discussions. Please click on the links in the show notes on our website at crclub.bc.ca slash podcast to find out more about the amazing work that they're all doing. We hope you enjoyed this series and found new ideas and perspectives to talk about with friends and neighbours. And with your candidates in the upcoming election. Yes. And we're always interested in what you have to say about the issues that we raised here. Please post your thoughts and tag us when you do. We're at Sierra Club BC on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. I'd particularly like to thank the North Growth Foundation for their ongoing support and everyone who made a donation towards the podcast. Sierra Club BC appreciates your support and you can give anytime on their website at sierraclub.bc.ca. I'm Susan Ellerington along with Caitlin Vernon. She's the campaigns director there at Sierra Club BC. Thank you, Caitlin, for for working on this with me and, and uh, striding over all the hurdles and getting through all of the complex and nuanced conversations to get to what we put on air. There's a lot to this transition and it's not always easy to figure out what's the best thing to say about it. Mm, so thank, thank you. And thanks, Sue. And thank you so much for all of the amazing journalistic expertise and ideas and all of the hard work that you've put into the research and the interviews and really pulling this podcast series together. It's been it's been truly wonderful working with you. Feelings mutual. Thank you. And thanks to Kat Zimmer for all her help in the production of this podcast series. And finally, thank you for listening. <laughs>